Welcome to today's podcast by Preacher, as he provides sound teaching on the pure and undiluted truth of God's Word, with life application that inspires you to live a holy life pleasing to God. We pray that these teachings will inspire you to live out your faith daily with confidence, be assured of your salvation in Christ, and God's unconditional love for you. From the book of Revelation, third chapter, the message to the church at Laodicea. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, This is a message from the Amen, the faithful and the true witness, who is the origin of all that God has created. I know what you have done. I know that you are neither cold nor hot. How I wish, and I always want to add here, how I wish to God you were either one or the other. But because you are barely warm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. I am rich and well off, you say. I have all I need, but you do not know how miserable and pitiful you really are. You are poor, naked, and blind. I advise you then to buy gold from me, pure gold. In order to be rich, buy so white clothing to dress yourself and to cover up your shameful nakedness. Buy also some medicine, put it on your eyes so that you may see. I reprove and punish all whom I love. Be in earnest then and turn from your sin. Listen, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into his house and eat with him, and he will eat with me. To those who win the victory, I will give the right to sit by me on my throne, just as I have been victorious, and now sit by my Father on his throne. If you have ears, then listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. And now, if you would turn to the twelfth chapter, and the tenth verse, you will find these words written. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now God's salvation has come. Now God has shown his power as king. Now his Messiah has shown his authority. For the accuser of our brothers, who stood before God accusing them day and night, has been thrown out of heaven. Our brothers won the victory over him by the blood of the Lamb. And by the truth which they proclaimed, they were willing to give up their lives and die. And so rejoice, you heavens, and all you who live there. But how terrible for the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you, and he is filled with rage, for he knows that he has only a little time left. If you had your Bible, and you want to find out what we're going to talk about, if you would turn to the book of Acts, there that first chapter, and the tenth verse, you would find some men from heaven saying this to a group of men here on this earth. And the line reads, Why do you stand there looking up at the sky? Why do you stand there looking up at the sky? Now, that is interesting. Sometimes we think there's very little connection between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Sometimes we wonder if there's any connection between a man like Amos and John the Revelator. 
And dear ones, they have so much in common, it's unbelievable. Because if you would turn back into the Old Testament and understand what Amos was called to do as he went out through Israel and the people of God and Judah, and you heard that man take his stand and he said, Hear, O Israel. Wherever he could get a group of people, he would stand and say, Hear, O Israel. And then you turn over to the book of Revelation, this is exactly and precisely. Change one word and you have it exactly. Because the man of long ago was talking to God's people. The revelator is talking to us as a church. Hear, O church. Hear, O Israel. Hear, O people of God. Hear, you who name the name of the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior and as your Lord. Dear ones, I want to tell you something that we live in prophetic times today. And that's not an overstatement, an exaggeration. I have lived through it, I am part of it, and I know what I'm talking about. And I mean, when I say we live in prophetic times, I mean that we live in a time when the scripture is being fulfilled in our day like you wouldn't believe it is. I tell you, it's enough to sort of make you nervous. Now, when I was just a young soldier in Germany, the war was over. I had a position in Uncle Sam's army where I had the right and opportunity to hire people to do the work that the GIs, you couldn't get them to do. You know, after the war was over, no one would wash the pots and pans, no one would do KP. And if you did, you could put them on KP and you went out to try to find them, they'd be off somewhere else. Some of you were interested in what I'm talking about. Maybe you had to try to do it, but you didn't do it. And so I had the right to go out and to hire civilians to do it. I soon found that all of these young Jewish boys, and that's about the only ones who were left from the concentration camps, I hired everyone I could find. Everyone that uh, looked at the tattoo on the arm, they had the whole thing there, I hired them. You come. Uh, you work for the United States Army. And they gladly did. I talked to those young people, young men, that had been through that hellish thing that they went through, uh, to a person. I don't know. I don't know how many of them that I worked with and talked with. Tried to treat them as best I could. I'd always ask them one question. I said, now that the war is over, what the one thing would you like to do? Would you like to go back and pick up the business that your parents had, or your forefathers had before you? Are you going to pick up the business and start over again and, and build again? Now, I want you to understand what I'm saying now to see that as a perspective. You've got to understand it be just like me. I don't know anything but this part of the country. My forefathers. There's no other place. I would have thought that these young people said, well, now I'm going to go back to Frankfurt, I'm going to back to Heidelberg, I'm going back here, I'm going back there, and I'm going to open up the business my father had and my forefathers had before me. And I'm going to be in business. Everyone that I ever talked to said with one voice, I would give everything that I have in Germany if I had passage to Israel. You know, after a while, I wasn't a student of the Bible too much at that time. I had an interest in it, but that began to come through me loud and clear. Something's going on here. You tell me. The scripture tells us that you see about the time Jesus was coming on the scene, Jerusalem was destroyed. Completely and totally. Overrun. Scattered. Went out of existence as a nation. Some of the people in days gone by when the scripture talks about that there will be an Israel when the Lord returns laughed at it. But nobody's laughing today. Is there ever a paper put out in this country that doesn't mention that country by name? Today? And it got into my mind, there's something going on here that doesn't meet the eye. Every last living one of these young men wanted to go to Israel after 2,000 years being out of existence. 
Israel comes back into existence as a nation in your lifetime and in mine. Now, to see the situation, where do you think the United States would be if it was out of existence as a nation for 2,000 years? You think we'd pick up again where we are today? You see it? Fulfilled. Nobody likes at that anymore. Now, I want to tell you something. John the Revelator saw something. He said in those last days, not only would that happen, he said, but I tell you, he's as old Satan is going to be awful active. Has there ever been a time upon the face of the earth that Satan has any more active than he is today? Has there ever been a time when the church has been in a more difficult strait than it has the day that this scripture was written? Today, every leader that knows anything about what's happening within uh, the world today will tell you that the church today is in one of the greatest straits that it has ever been in. To a person. I don't know of a person that has any learning at all and can speak with any authority about the things that be spiritual, but what won't tell you that? I can see a difference by the time I was a young preacher until now in the church. There is a difference. It is heavy upon us. We are bombarded by the things out there, the stress that and pressures that are, that are upon us. Why is it for us to even to do a simple thing as arrive at some decision, it splits us from one end to the other. You know, dear ones, I want to speak to my soul this morning for just a few moments. Now, if you don't want to hear me talk to my soul, you have a perfect right to leave, and I'll love you. Just go ahead and go, because I'm going to be dealing with something that maybe is down where you live, too. But if you want to stay and hear what I've got to say, you'd be welcome to it. But let me start in this fashion. What are you doing? What in the name of God are you doing as a Christian? You who name the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, what are you doing? What are you doing? You know, this is an interesting situation here we have within our scripture. Here, the Lord Jesus Christ has been just taken away from them. And here they stand gazing off into heaven. How long did they stand there? I don't know. Maybe a few minutes. But why so quickly did the men from heaven come? Did the Lord get nervous about the situation and think, well, now I've got to do something quick. Those characters are going to stand there and, and if it rains with their mouth open like it is, they'll probably drown. And so I've got to do something. So anyway, the scripture says that two men dressed in white came and told them, in effect, why are you doing standing here gazing off into heaven like that? Get on back down to Jerusalem where you're supposed to be. Now, you know, there's something about my soul that is akin to Peter. See, Peter was one of that group. Now, I don't mean that in a good way. It's not complimentary at all. You know, dear ones, there were some things about Peter that was not good. You remember he had a way? When the Lord Jesus Christ was telling the group of them it was going to be hard and difficult. You remember old Peter stepped in the gap and he says, Lord, he says, we'll go with you even if we die. It must have been about two months after that. The Lord says, I've got to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to suffer and die. And old Peter says, we can't go. And he can't go. I'm not going. And on top of that, he said, Lord, you can't go either. And that's when the Lord said, Satan, call Peter Satan, Satan, get behind me. And the Lord set his face as a flint to go to Jerusalem. I remember that when old Peter was up on the mount uh, there of transfiguration, when uh, the heavens opened, and you know, the Lord spoke to Jesus. And old Peter, he was there, and he heard it. And old Peter was so taken in with that, he said, man, this is a good place to live. He said, I'm up here close to God, and I can hear him. And he said, I'll tell you what we're going to do. He says, we're going to be a one house for the prophet. We're going to be a one house for you, Lord. And we're going to be a one house for us. And all three, all of us are going to stay up here on this mountainside. 
But it was the last thing the Lord said to him. I want you to go back into Jerusalem. Oh, Peter, he didn't want to go back to Jerusalem. I don't blame him. I wouldn't have either. Now, dear ones, do you know the thing? Oh, I don't have to look at your soul. Do you know what Peter was doing the night that the world was weighed in the balance? Do you know what Peter was doing the night that the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the man that he recognized as the Messiah, do you know what he was doing the night that Jesus stood before Pilate and had no man to defend him? Do you know what Peter was doing? He was standing out in the courtyard by far. And the scripture says that Peter was warming himself by the fire. Now how do you like that kettle of fish? Oh my soul. Cowardly you are. Won't you hear? And won't you listen? You know, dear ones, I can divide myself up into three thoughts. The church, you, all of us, fall in these three categories. Let me quickly mention them. There's a part of me that is completely negative. Why is it that when someone gives me an opportunity to do something, gives me a challenge, why is it that I will think of 15 different reasons why I ought not do it? I tell you, my wife can tell me anything to do. And I can give you 15 reasons off the top of my head immediately why I'm not going to do it. You can challenge me within the church. And oh God, I hope you do. My soul, its life depends on it. If you don't, it'll die. But I want to tell you something. You challenge me within the church and I'm going to think of 15 different reasons why I'm not going to do it. And I never get around to asking, Lord, what would you have me to do? I'm afraid to do that because I know. Maybe something I don't want to do. Oh, Peter, he don't want to go back to Jerusalem. I wouldn't have either. You know why? Because that's the place where he made a fool of himself. That's a place where he acted like a coward. That's the place where he had the opportunity to stand and to be counted as a man. Would you not be more respecting of human nature if you had have known that one man stood to defend Christ? Nobody. Peter had his opportunity. I don't want to go back to Jerusalem. I played the part of an idiot there. And you want me to go back there? Lord, you must be out of your mind. You know, the strange thing is that they went back. And if they had not gone back, there would have not been a church. Now, I'll put it wrong. There would have been no power. And then there would have been no church. There would have been no opportunity for you and I to be in this place today to enjoy the greatness of this fellowship and the privileges and opportunities that God gives to us. Well, why is it that I do that? Do I think that the old way is better? Am I afraid to change because of a sign of weakness? Do I object to it because of necessity? You know why the Pharisees objected to the Lord Jesus Christ? It was out of necessity. Because, you see, Jesus challenged their position. If they let the Lord Jesus Christ get by with what he was doing and what he was saying, they had no position. They had none. It was going to cost them their position. And I want to tell you something, my friend, and you deal with me and my soul like that and cost me for my position, I'm going to try to crucify you if I'm not careful. If I'm too far off base, that's exactly what I'm going to do. So they nailed him to a tree. Now, there's another position. And I tell you, I am so good at doing this that I look like a Texas cowboy. Sometimes I'm so bow-legged for riding the fence. 
neutral. I'm not going to take position. Oh, my God. I did something the other night. And the Lord, be my helper. Never happen again. You count on it. Now, then that board meeting the other night. Now, I played cool. I'm not going to be bothered. It's all right, brother Herb, to get his head hold. It's all right, somebody's got their head hold. Not me. I'm not going to be count with that. Next day, I was trying to think about what the Lord would have me to do. You know, I said, strange. I pick up this scripture and I read it. Sometimes the Lord speaks, you know, almost too directly to me. And it sort of, sort of disturbs me some. There's a price to, to be paid. Why did they go out to sea? That's what the Lord's response they made to old John the Baptist. Why did you go out to sea? Did you go out there to see a weed shaking in the wind? Or did you go out there to see someone that just telling you that the kingdom of God is at hand? And he told you in no uncertain terms. Now you make up your mind for it against it. I think every person within this church, especially the chairman of the board, or any other man in this church or woman, has got a perfect right to know where the preacher stands anywhere, any place, on anything. And if you have to question it, brother, you come and ask me. And if I've got the guts that I think the Lord's going to give it to me, I'll tell you. And then we'll line up accordingly. There's never been a day any more greater today than where strong, positive discipleship is needed today. I read that scripture again, old Paul, where he's talking about a battle. He's talking about me. Why did I have to read that thing? And there was two lines of it. Picture of the battle. When they went into battle, they had a trumpeter there to sound the charge. And he said, what if the trumpeter gives a garbled sound? The soldiers don't know whether to retreat or to charge. So I got the message. I was supposed to be the trumpeter, you know, on the situation. Price to be paid. Oh, my time's up. Let me say two things and we go on. I'm talking about a neutral position. Dear ones, I want to tell you something. When old Pilot, oh God, my soul is like that man. And I don't want to be identified with him at all. You remember when he had the Lord Jesus Christ before him and had the power to do something. He had it. You know what that man said? He said, now he played it cool too, you know. I played it cool. He said, I'm not going to have anything to do with this man. You bring me a basin of water. Bring a basin of water and wash his hands. I'm going to show you. I'm, not, I'm going to wash my hands of the whole situation. There's one man that we mentioned this morning, and what we say we believe. What was his name? Pontius Pilate. There's no place in God's kingdom for such people. Was it not John the Revelator said, I see these people, they're neither cold nor hot, and I'm about to spit them out. No place, no time. Now, this is a true situation that happened, maybe because of age. My mind has slipped a little. Somehow this past week rolled back across the years. And I remember a little church out here between here and Bartstown. And in that little church, back when I was just a very young person, it was just a difficult time. And so all the people got together. Must have been ten of them, I guess, I don't know. Uh, that church, Baptists and Methodists like they all met there, you know. So they voted because of the hardness of the times that they could only have church on one Sunday a month. One Sunday. Now, I wasn't going to church, didn't go to church, but that disturbed me greatly. It disturbed me for another reason. I wasn't concerned about church. 
But when I heard the community was busted because they didn't have any money, it disturbed me. Because I knew that every Saturday, the next Saturday, there was something went on on the farm that we owned that I just really enjoyed. And I knew that if that community was busted and had no money, that would be stopped. And I worried all week. But would you believe that when Saturday came at 3 o'clock, those same characters, some of them that voted to close the church because they didn't have any money, were one in the scene that showed up. Now, what did they show up to see? Now, this is interesting. Now, you would have thought that you had to go down to Mexico or Spain to see a cockfight, wouldn't you? No, sir, we had one on the farm. Oh, yeah. Big thing. I guess I must have been the sum total of 10 years of age. And I noticed these same men had these trained cocks. And they had big spurs that strap on, made out of steel, stainless steel. Oh, they were wicked looking. Tie them on, strap them onto those roosters, throw them into that the pit, and let them fight until they killed one another. And they bet on them. I was ever so amazed. I didn't see any loss of money. Everybody had money. They bought and sold and bet and drank and had a good time. Couldn't understand that. Let me tell you something, dear friends. Let me tell you something as a church. Watch the way we conduct ourselves. Because you see, in that untrained mind, not even trained to think in the concept of Christ, I knew that there was something different. Something was wrong. There was something rotten somewhere between that church and what happened there when the same people were involved to some degree. There was a little old girl. I thought she was anxious at that time. She must have been at least 16. But she didn't take the verdict of those people. In fact, she went out and even tried harder. She came down and she did try hard because she rounded me up. And she says, we're going to have Sunday school whether or not. And so we'd go up there at an old empty church, about 10 or 15 of us. And just like that right there, pew, only looked twice as long as that. May have not been that long. And she'd line about 10 of us kids up on there. And I was so short at that time, and that pew was so big, that when you slide back on the pew, your feet would stick right out in front of you, just like that, you know. And that was an interesting situation. I had the prettiest feet you've ever seen. I had the longest toes. And here this little skinny girl, she looked like a hot dog with a string tied around her. And she had us lined up, and she'd run up and down. She'd make the one on this side be quiet, and I had the favorite seat right in the middle. I got it going and coming. She'd run up and down, and I'd look at her through my toes, just like that. And she looked just like a hot dog on a grill, you know. Just run up and down. Now here's what I want to say. Years later, when God wanted to talk to me and say something to me, what do you think was burnt in my mind? Those people that said they didn't have what it took to keep that church open? Or that little old skinny girl that had nothing? I can see her as clearly today as it was when I was only a kid. And I'll tell you, I'll keep seeing her until the day I die. You know why? Because she was total committed to Christ. That makes a difference. Another thing happened to me this week, and that's this. Two things. I was called the other day by a man, and I've known this man a long time. He's a great man, he's a good man, but I do not know of another man that I have disagreed. Well, he's been in meetings where he outvoted me. <laughs> He just outvoted me. I had to go ahead and do what, what they called to do. I've been in meetings where I'd go to him. He's stuck with me. 
He called me the other day. I have lost contact with him and went with his son. And he called me the other day and he said, Preacher, he said, uh, this week, just this week, while I was thinking about all this stuff, he called me and said, Preacher, said, I need you. said, one of my boys is in trouble. I said, where are you? He says, I'm over here at the hospital. He said, would you mind to come? I said, not at all. I said, you know, I'm moving slow. I said, you just take it easy. I'll be there as quick as I can get there. And so I rushed down to the hospital. And I talked to my man. Now, this man took in two boys off the street one day. He took them home with him, and they lived with him. He took care much like his own son. And this was one of them. Now, I lost contact with this son that was in trouble. This is trouble that he was in. Listen, so. Listen, so. And this son heard us from time to time as we tried to reach a decision on something. And I know now that he didn't doubt the integrity of his father, his adopted father, and the integrity of, of the preacher. Because he wanted to commit himself over here at peace. And this is what he said to me. You know, one who has drifted afield and has broken contact with reality, when they look into your eye, they have a deadly stare that seems to penetrate your soul. Now, this is what he said to me. My friend said, now, he won't go in here unless you tell him it's all right. Now, he was only a young person, last contact I had with him. And he looked at me with that deadly stare into the pit of my soul. And I said, my friend, it's all right. He says, one question I want to ask you. He says, if I take this wedding band off, now get this. If I take this wedding band off, they won't kill my wife, will they? Now, you see, in his mind of confusion, he thought that he was going to be killed. He was so concerned. He said, if I take my wedding band off, they won't kill my wife. I said, no, they won't kill your wife. Now, I'm going to touch her. And then we lost contact there for a little while. About ten minutes, he came back around. And I said to him, I said, now these are good people here and they're going to help you. And then I caught his attention again and he looked deadly into my eyes again. Stare. And then he spoke. He says, preacher, he says, you won't let them kill me, will you? And I'll kill you. I'll say to them, trust me. And with that, he took the arm of the nurse and was confined. Oh, Leonidas. I'd like to be part of that band. That Greek of ancient history. When old Xerxes and his Persian army outnumbered them 50 to 1, came snaking like a brown snake into that country of his. And to get in there before they choked the life out of the country, remember Leonidas and took his little band of warriors and stood in the pass to stop them. And he delayed that army for two days and probably would have longer if it had not been that he was betrayed by one of his own men and told him how to outflank him. And you know Xerxes, after they had killed Leonidas and his men in that past, to a man, killed them all. They buried them, they tell me. And Xerxes had a plaque written over him. And on that plaque, it, this is what it had to say. It says, you go tell in Sparta that these lie here in obedience to her command. And I want to say to my soul, so is there anything in this world that you can lay hold of that will cause you to stand and take your stand? As it says right here with these people of God. 
They took their stand and were willing to die. You go tell in Sparta. No, that's not what the writer says. You tell in heaven. Heaven's rejoicing, you see. You tell in heaven that we lie here in obedience to her command. Oh, Lord Jesus, help us. Help us as a church and as your people today because it is sorely needed. Amen. Thanks for listening. Hope you were blessed. We pray the Holy Spirit will make you a doer of his words, finishing the work he started and making you more like Christ for the transformation of this world and preparation for heaven. 